0: LaFosse Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is Season 5. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everybody. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. In wartime, there are men and, dare I say, some women who will fight for the other side, whatever the other side is in the battle or in the war that they're involved with. There were plenty of Americans uh, who were loyalists and fought on the British side during the Revolution. They didn't stay too much in the Americas after that. They went to Canada and other places. There were German Americans who had immigrated to the United States or, you know, recently or sometime back and Who answered the call from Hitler for all true Aryans to? Go back to Germany and fight for the fatherland they did there were Americans fighting in the German units different things like that, you know, just Why do they change sides? Why do they go to the other side? Is it a matter of convenience? Is it a matter of fear? So this is what our story is going to be about. I want to talk about the St. Patrick's Battalion. The St. Patrick's Battalion was a unit of 175 to several hundred men, and because accounts vary, they were immigrants and expatriates of European descent who fought as part of the Mexican Army against the United States in the Mexican-American War of 1846 to 1848. Formed and led by a man named John Riley, the battalion's members included many who had deserted or defected from the United States Army. The battalion served as an artillery unit for much of the war. Despite later being formally designated as two infantry companies, It still retained artillery pieces throughout the conflict. In many ways, the battalion acted as the sole Mexican counterbalance to the recent U.S. innovation of horse artillery. The San Patricios were responsible for the toughest battles encountered by the United States in its invasion of Mexico, with Ulysses S. Grant remarking that Churubusco proved to be about the severest battle fought in the Valley of Mexico. Composed primarily of Catholic Irish immigrants, the battalion also included Germans, Canadians, English, French, Italians, Poles, Scots, Spaniards, Swiss, and Mexicans, many of whom were also members of the Catholic Church. Disenfranchised Americans were in the ranks, including escaped slaves from the southern United States. Only a few members of the St. Patrick's Battalion were actual U.S. citizens. The Mexican government printed propaganda in different languages to entice immigrants in the U.S. Army to switch sides and offered incentives to foreigners who would enlist in its army, including granting them citizenship, paying higher wages than the U.S. Army, and generous land grants. U.S. Army regiments from which members are known to have defected include the 1st Artillery, 2nd Artillery, 3rd Artillery, 4th Artillery, the 2nd Dragoons, 2nd Infantry, 3rd Infantry, the 4th Infantry, 5th Infantry, the 6th Infantry, 7th Infantry, and 8th Infantry. The San Patricios are honored in both Mexico and Ireland. For Mexicans of the generation that fought the Mexican-American War and generations to come, the San Patricios were heroes who came to their aid in an hour of need. For Americans of that generation, the San Patricios were considered traitors. Successive Mexican presidents have praised the San Patricios. Vincent Fox Quesada stated that the affinities between Ireland and Mexico go back to the first years of our nation when our country fought to preserve its national sovereignty. Then, a brave group of Irish soldiers, in a heroic gesture, decided to fight against the foreign ground invasion, and Mexican President Ernesto Zadillo stated, members of the St. Patrick's Battalion were executed for following their conscience. They were martyred for adhering to their highest ideals. We honor their memory. In the name of the people of Mexico, I salute today the people of Ireland and express my eternal gratitude." The great majority of these men were recent immigrants who had arrived at northeastern U.S. ports, part of the Irish diaspora, then escaping the Great Irish Famine and extremely poor economic conditions in Ireland, part of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland at the time. The U.S. Army often recruited Irishmen and other immigrants into this military service shortly or sometimes immediately after arrival in America, in coffin ships with promises of salaries and land after the war. Numerous theories have been proposed as to their motives for desertion, including cultural alienation, mistreatment of immigrant soldiers by nativist soldiers and senior officers, brutal military discipline, and dislike of service in the U.S. military being forced to attend Protestant church services, and being unable to practice their Catholic religion freely, as well as religious ideological convictions, the incentive of higher wages and land grants starting at 320 acres offered by Mexico and viewing the U.S. invasion of Mexico as unjust. It is believed primary motivations were shared religion with the Mexicans and sympathy for the Mexican cause, based on similarities between the situations in Mexico and Ireland. This hypothesis is based on evidence of the number of Irish Catholics in the battalion, the letters of John Riley, and the field entries of senior officers. Another hypothesis is that the members of the St. Patrick's Battalion have been unhappy with their treatment in the U.S. Army. This was a conviction of George Ballantyne, an Englishman who served in the American Army. Valentine stated that while there was a portion of truth in the view, commonly assigned by officers, that the deserters joined the Mexican army due to their Catholicism, I have good reason to believe, in fact, in some cases I know, that harsh and unjust treatment by their officers operated far more strongly than any other consideration to produce the deplorable result of desertion describing how he found the punishments used for trivial offenses to be revolting and disgusting. Another theory some historians hold is that the soldiers were attracted by the incentives offered by the Mexican government, safe passage throughout Mexico for deserters, generous land grants, and the offer of potential military commissions. For poor people coming from famine conditions, economics was often an important incentive. Mexican author José Raúl Canseco noted that many Irish lived in northern Texas and were forced to move south due to regional insecurity. Mainly Irish settlers from San Patricio, Texas, had previously sided with Mexican forces against Texan rebels at the battles of Lipontitlan in the Texas Revolution. Irish expatriates had a long tradition of serving in military forces of Catholic countries. For instance, serving with Spain and later France in groups of young men who had left Ireland during what would become known as the flight of the wild geese in the 17th century. In addition, many Irish fought as soldiers in South American wars for independence. They carried a flag or flags But there were conflicting accounts of the design of the flag of the San Patricios. No flags or depictions of them are known to have survived to the present day. The only version of the flag known to have survived the war was subsequently lost or stolen from the chapel at West Point. John Riley, who left an account of the battalion, noted the flag in a letter. In all my letter, I forgot to tell you under what banner we fought so bravely. It was that glorious emblem of native rights, that being the banner which should have flowed over our native soil many years ago. It was St. Patrick, the harp of Aaron, the shamrock upon a green field. The green harp flag in its 18th to 19th century design showing the maid of Aaron as the harp's pillar her wing forming the harp's neck, and the inscription, Erin go bra, which is Ireland forever. According to George Wilkins Kendall, an American journalist covering the war with Mexico, he wrote, The banner is of green silk, and on one side is a harp, surmounted by the Mexican coat of arms, with a scroll on which is painted Libertad por la Republica Mexicana, Liberty for the Mexican Republic. Under the harp is the motto of Go Gobra. On the other side is a painting made to represent St. Patrick. In his left hand a key, and in his right a crook or staff resting upon a serpent. Underneath is painted San Patricio. Two other eyewitness accounts of the flag exist, both from American soldiers. The first describes it as a beautiful green silk banner which waved over their heads. On it glittered a silver cross and a golden harp, embroidered by the hands of the fair nuns of San Luis Potosi, Samuel E. Chamberlain, my confession. The second, notes only. Among the mighty hosts we passed was O'Reilly and his company of deserters bearing aloft in high disgrace the holy banner of St. Patrick. It was a Kentucky cavalryman who was captured by the Mexicans and his name is unknown. A radically different version of the flag was described in a Mexican source. They had a white flag or standard on which were found the shields of Ireland and Mexico and the name of their captain, John O'Reilly, embroidered in green. Whatever the case, in 1997, a reproduction military flag was created by the Clifton and Connemara Heritage Group. Another was created the following year for the MGM film One Man's Hero, a romanticized version of the San Patricio's history. A third version embodying the description of the San San Luis Potosi flag was made for the Irish Society of Chicago, which hung it in the city's Union League Club. Some writers suggest that the St. Patrick's Battalion might have used different banners as an artillery unit and as a Infantry Company and as a reconstructed unit. Present in the Mexican army for the battles of Palo Alto and Risaca de la Palma were the Legion de Extranjeros, or the Legion of Foreigners, the men who would later make up the corps of the St. Patrick's Battalion. Meanwhile, deserters were abandoning General Taylor's army on the Rio Grande. Riley, and a company of 48 Irishmen, manned Mexican artillery at the siege of Fort Texas, which took place concurrently to the two other battles. Martin Trichler, German, Mexican, and a captain at the Battle of Cerro Gordo, is attributed with convincing a large number of German soldiers to defect from the U.S. occupying forces in Puebla. The St. Patrick's Battalion first fought as a recognized Mexican unit in the Battle of Monterey, on September 21st of 1846 as an artillery battery. Popularly, they were called Los Colorados by the Mexicans because of their ruddy, sunburnt complexions and red hair color. They were commanded by John Riley, an Irish artilleryman and veteran non-commissioned officer of the British Army who possibly arrived in Canada in 1843 while serving with the British Army. There was an assertion that he served as a sergeant in the 66th Berkshire Regiment of Foot, but that is known to be inaccurate. He went on to join the U.S. Army in Michigan in September of 1845. He deserted in Matamoros in April of 1846. Upon meeting Mexican forces, he was initially given the officer rank of lieutenant by General Pedro de Ampudia. At the Battle of Monterey, the San Patricios proved their artillery skills by causing the deaths of many American soldiers. They were credited with defeating two to three separate assaults into the heart of the city. Among their targets were companies led by such officers as Braxton Bragg, many of whose soldiers would end up in their own ranks later in the war. Their tenacity, however, did not affect the Mexican commander's decision to capitulate and abandon the position. Following the engagement at Monterey, the San Patricios grew in number, by some estimates reaching an enlistment of over 700 men. Forces reassembled at San Luis Potosi, and they had their distinct green silk flag embroidered there. Then they marched northward after joining a larger force commanded by Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, sent from Mexico City, the liberating Army of the North. At the Battle of Buena Vista, known as the Battle of Angostura in Mexico, in Cojila on February 23rd, the San Patricios became engaged with U.S. forces. They were assigned the three heaviest, 18 and 24-pound cannons the Mexican army possessed, which were positioned on high ground overlooking the battlefield, at the base of a hillside just below what is now a gravel mine. They were later described as a strong Mexican battery moved by dent of extraordinary exertions that commanded the entire plateau. They started the battle supporting Mexican infantry by firing on U.S. lines as the Mexicans advanced on them, but then later decimating an artillery battery directly opposite them on the battlefield, which was Washington's 4th Artillery D battery. A small number of San Patricios were dispatched with a division commanded by Manuel Lombardini, with the express purpose of capturing the fourth's cannons once the crews had been dealt with. As the division got close, they charged the artillery battery, bayoneting whoever remained and routing the rest, leaving the attached San Patricios free to haul away two six-pound cannons. These cannons would later be used by Mexican forces at the Battle of Contreras. In frustration, US Commander Zachary Taylor, referring to the St. Patrick's Battalion, ordered a squadron of the first dragoons to take that damn battery. In this task, they failed, and badly bloodied were forced to retreat. At about 1 p.m., the San Patricios covered a Mexican retreat as a disordered mass of infantry sought refuge during a lull in the fighting. The San Patricios rode out the day in a costly artillery duel with several American batteries, which killed and injured roughly one-third of them. General Francisco Mejas Battle Report for Buena Vista described the San Patricios as worthy of the most consummate praise because the men fought with daring bravery. Several Irishmen were awarded the War Cross by the Mexican government for their conduct in that battle, and many received field promotions. Despite their excellent performance in a number of engagements as artillery, The much-reduced San Patricios were ordered to muster a larger infantry battalion in mid-1847 by personal order of Santa Ana. It remained the Foreign Legion of Patricios and consisted of volunteers from many European countries, commanded by a Colonel Francisco R. Moreno, with Riley in charge of First Company and Santiago O'Leary heading up the Second. Desertion handbills were produced, specially targeting Catholic Irish, French, and German immigrants in the invading U.S. Army, and stating that you must not fight against a religious people, nor should you be seen in the ranks of those who proclaim slavery of mankind as a constitutive principle. Liberty is not on the part of those who desire to be lords of the world, robbing properties and territories which do not belong to them and shedding so much blood in order to accomplish their views. Views in open war to the principles of our holy religion. The Battle of Churubusco in August of 1847 took place about four months after the defeat at Cerro Gordo. Generalissimo Santa Anna gave a verbal order to preserve the point at all risk. The San Patricio Companies initially met the attackers outside the walls of the convent at a tete de Pont, which was about 500 yards from a fortified convent. A battery of three to five heavy cannons were used from this position to hold off the American advance along with support from Los Independencia Battalion and Los Bravos Battalion. The Americans were under the command of Colonel William Hoffman. Several U.S. charges toward the bridgehead were thrown off with the San Patricio companies serving as an example to the supporting battalions. Unlike the San Patricios, most of whom were veterans, many having served in the armies of the United Kingdom and other various German states, the supporting Mexican battalions were simply militia. The term National Guard is also used, who had been untested by battle. A lack of ammunition led the Mexican soldiers in the trenches between the bridgehead and the convent to disband. Without ammunition, they had no way to fight back. Santa Ana had ordered half of these soldiers to a different part of the battlefield. When the requested ammunition wagon finally arrived, the nine and a half Drachum cartridges were compatible with none but the San Patricio Company's brown best muskets, and they made up only a fraction of the defending forces. Further hampering the Mexican efforts, a stray spark from an artillery piece firing grape shot at the oncoming U.S. troops caused the just-arrived ammunition to explode and set fire to several men, including Captain O'Leary and General Anaya. A withdrawal behind the walls of the Convento de Churubusco was called when the threat of being outflanked proved too great. The San Patricios used this battle as a chance to settle old scores with U.S. troops. The large number of officers killed at the affair was ascribed to them, as for the gratification of their revenge, they aimed at no other objects during the engagement. At some point during the fighting for the convent, two American officers led 15 men against a point in the Mexican defenses and mistook San Patricio members for friendly U.S. Army troops. The San Patricios opened fire on them, killing or wounded all but one of the group. Though hopelessly outnumbered and under-equipped, The defenders repelled the U.S. attacking forces with heavy losses until their ammunition ran out and a Mexican officer raised the white flag of surrender. Officer Patrick Dalton of the San Patricios tore the white flag down, prompting General Pedro Anaya to order his men to fight on with their bare hands as necessary. American Private Ballantine reported that when the Mexicans attempted to raise the white flag two more times, members of the San Patricios shot and killed them. After brutal close quarters fighting with bayonets and sabers through the halls and rooms of the convent, U.S. Army Captain James Smith suggested a surrender after raising his white handkerchief. Following the U.S. victory, the Americans ventilated their vocabulary of Saxon expletives, not very courteously, on Riley and his beautiful disciples of St. Patrick. General Anaya stated in his written battle report that 35 San Patricios were killed 85 were taken prisoner, including a wounded John Riley, Captain O'Leary, and Anaya. About 85 escaped with retreating Mexican forces. Some 60% of the San Patricios were killed or captured in the engagement. The survivors were reformed before the Battle of Mexico City some two weeks later and were stationed at Queretaro, where the Mexican government had decamped, with some 50 members serving as a bodyguard for the commander-in-chief. Following the war... The Mexican government insisted in a clause of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo that the remaining San Patricio prisoners held by the Americans were to be left in Mexico. And Major General William Orlando Butler issued General Orders 116 on June 1st of 1848, stating that the prisoners confined at the citadel, known as the San Patricio prisoners, will be immediately discharged. Rogue's march was played upon their release. The St. Patrick's Battalion continued to function as two infantry companies under the command of John Riley, with one unit tasked with sentry duty in Mexico City and the other stationed in the suburbs of Guadalupe Hidalgo. The San Patricios were officially mustered out of the Mexican military service in 1848. There were some that were supposed to have been involved in an abortive military coup, but the rest of them were disbanded because of budgetary cuts. The San Patricios who were captured by the U.S. Army were treated and punished as traitors for desertion in time of war. Two separate court-martials were held, one at Tacubaya on August 23rd and another at San Angel on August 26th. At neither of these trials were the men represented by lawyers, nor were transcripts made of the proceedings. This lack of formal legal advice could account for the fact that several of the men claimed that drunkenness had led them to desert a common defense in military trials at the time that sometimes led to lighter sentences, and others described how they were forced to join the Mexican army in some form or other. The majority of the San Patricios either offered no defense or their defenses were not recorded. Wealthy Mexicans came to the San Patricios' defense at the trials, and members of Mexico's first families visited them in prison. One soldier was who claimed he was forced to to fight by the Mexicans after he was captured by them, and who subsequently refused to do so, was sentenced to death by firing squad instead of hanging, along with another who was found not to have officially joined the Mexican army. Most of the convicted San Patricios were sentenced to death by hanging, 30 from the Tacobaya trial and 18 from San Angel. The rationale was that they had entered Mexican military service following the declaration of war. Execution by hanging was in violation of the contemporary Articles of War, which stipulated that the penalty for desertion and or defecting to the enemy during a time of war was death by firing squad, regardless of the circumstances. Hanging was reserved only for spies without uniform and for atrocities against civilians, neither of which activities were among the charges brought against any of the members of the St. Patrick's Battalion. Of more than 9,000 U.S. troops who deserted during the Mexican War, only the San Patricios, who, unlike almost all other deserters, had also fought against the United States, were punished by hanging. Those soldiers who had left military service before the official declaration of war on Mexico, Riley among them, were sentenced to receive 50 lashes on their bare backs, be branded with the letter D for deserter. And to wear iron yokes around their necks for the duration of the war. In all, 50 St. Patrick's Battalion members were officially executed by the U.S. Army. Collectively, this was the largest mass execution in United States history. En masse executions for treason took place at three separate locations on three separate dates. Sixteen were executed in September at San Angel. Four were executed the following day at the village of Mixcroc on September 11th, and 30 were hanged at Chapultepec on September 13th. A sole San Patricio was murdered by American soldiers when he was recognized among the prisoners of war in the aftermath of the Battle of Molina del Rey by being thrown into a mill flume and crushed by the wheel. At the San Angel hangings, all prisoners were executed without incident, except for Patrick Dalton, who, as an American captain described, was literally choked to death. Dalton had previously voiced concerns regarding his treatment. By order of General Winfield Scott, 30 San Patricios were to be executed at Chapultepec in full view of the two armies while they fought the Battle of Chapultepec at the precise moment that the flag of the U.S. replaced the flag of Mexico atop the citadel. This order was carried out by Lieutenant William Harney. Harney was taunted and jeered by the condemned man. While overseeing the hangings, Harney ordered Francis O'Connor hanged even though he had both legs amputated the previous day. When the army surgeon informed the colonel that the absent soldier had lost both his legs in battle, Harney replied, Bring the damn son of a bitch out. My order was to hang 30, and by God, I'll do it. Those who survived the war either made lives for themselves in Mexico or returned to their home nations, such as Ireland. Some former San Patricios found work at the Arsenal in Guadalajara making gun stocks. One former San Patricio, an Irishman, started a military academy teaching the sword exercise, also in Guadalajara. Others were reportedly killed while traveling through Mexico, while others were reduced to living on handouts. A handful are on record as having made use of the land claims promised them by the Mexican governments. The men have continued to be honored and revered as heroes in Mexico. The Battalion de San Patricio is memorialized on two separate days. September 12th, the generally accepted anniversary of the executions of those battalion members captured by the U.S. Army, and March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. The U.S. Army long denied the existence of the St. Patrick's Battalion as a cover-up and an attempt to discourage other deserters. So there you have it, a group of foreign men from Ireland, England, Germany, Spain, whatever, joined together and became a separate battalion within the Mexican army who fought for the Mexican army against the American army because so many of them, especially the ones from Ireland, had undergone a very similar situation in Ireland when being invaded by the British troops. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and unexplained cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it, Download that to the device that you listen to the program on, install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the, all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page. And it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.